is this really what I want? And I'm a, a fan of the book Flow by Mihai Chefsen. Mihai, yeah, I love the that. intersection of your greatest competency and your greatest passion. And to me, that is your life's purpose. A lot of people just do what they happen and might be good at or passionate about. But when you reach that intersection, you realize that, oh, wait, it's not about being better than my peers or being the smartest person in the room or having the most titles or having the most degrees or having the most achievements. It's what is uniquely successful to me. Welcome to the Phil with Forbes 30 podcast. This is Phil Michaels, Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and performance coach. Every year, Forbes names the top 30 entrepreneurs, leaders, and stars in the world. And each week, I bring you one of them to help you level up in your life and business. From celebrities like LeBron James to Kylie Jenner and Cardi B, to entrepreneurs with companies like DoorDash, Instagram, and YouTube, you're sure to learn from the list. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now it's time to level up. Level up. Welcome to Phil with Forbes 30 podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. He is an executive and team coach, venture capital advisor, and a musician based in Berlin, Germany. As a partner at Volate Coaching Company, he works with European founders on tackling personal, organizational, and business growth topics. He serves as a VC expert advisor to the European Commission on its Horizon 2020 program. You can also find him playing the guitar on Berlin stages and recording studios. Please welcome my very special guest, Julius. Thank you very much. Very excited to have you here. It's my absolute pleasure. And I finally get to talk with another coach. Yeah, um, it's, it's rare, right? How, how, these, how these coach to coach conversations happen outside of like, like the industry bodies and otherwise we spend most of our time with founders or investors for that matter. Um, yeah, it's great to be here. Excited. Me as well. And I'm so excited to share with the audience how important coaching is and, and to hear it from a coach's perspective. So everybody right. needs a coach. I, I just shared this and I tell my clients this is every athlete doesn't have a coach, but every Olympian does. So if you want to take your performance to the next level, invest in a coach. Very true. Yeah. When we, we'll dive into that deeper in just a moment, but you made the Forbes list and I'm curious to hear where you were when you made the Forbes list. Good question. I, so I remember this comes out in January, right? <clears throat> At least for, for the, for the European section of it. And um, I remember <laughs> um, they, uh, Forbes basically has this, this, this short list format where they send a message to, I don't know how many asking um, on, uh, like, Hey, you know, you're on the short list to, making the Forbes list. Do you want to come to London? So um, you find out right away when it gets announced. I was like, I'm never going to make it on that list. I'm not going to go to London. I'll just sit it out, you know? <laughs> and, then, and then at some point, oh yeah, now I remember. I'm sitting, I'm sitting uh, in, my, uh, in my office. Back then I was working for a venture capital fund in Berlin um, and I open my emails in the morning and I get these hot flashes and but because I, I like, apparently I had already grasped what was in my inbox, but I didn't re like, I didn't actually read it. Like my, my, my eyes went over it and I, and I felt myself tense up. I'm going, oh, what is this? Oh, there's an email and it says you made it on the Forbes list. And I, I kind of, I kind of flew through that day. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the first person you shared it with? I mean, it's such a proud moment. The first oh. thing you like to do is usually share it with a loved one. Uh, right. Well, um, so, I mean, um, about three and a half minutes later, my colleague came in, um, who I spare, uh, spent lots of time with at, at the time. And I mean, that was, that was the first person I was like, you know, this just happened because I hadn't, I hadn't told anyone about the process before. Um, I didn't know what it meant to be nominated and what the chances were. And so I thought, you know, you know, keep it, play it safe. Uh, don't blow it up. Um, you were working at venture capital at the time. So you were in finance 2017. 
That's that's right. Yeah, yeah. So um, so my um, my career began uh, in in finance, and I think um, even as a coach today, that's the perspective that I'm taking. Is um, I have I've worked in venture, I've invested um, in uh, in a lot of companies. I saw a lot of entrepreneurs pitch and and you know then then and kind of see how they perform afterwards. Um, I've also seen the operational side of finance because I built finance departments multiple times uh, in companies. Um, and nowadays, um, kind of that general um, scope is also where I train executives around the questions of like planning, forecasting, um, and and how they can how they can make that work for them strategically. Yeah, your experience previously adds to the value you provide as a coach. I, I used to be under this impression, like, man, I wish I would have started coaching earlier. Yeah, right. Because I was pre-med in my undergrad, and then I went yeah. on to MBA school and right. got a master's of science. And, more. and I'm like, wait a second. All those experiences are what make me a more valuable, better coach. Exactly. I was, um, I was just having this discussion with another coach today. Actually, well, so you're my second coach that I'm talking to today. Um, and um, and um, we were just having this discussion about coaching courses. And there's lots of coaching courses out there that you can take right now. Um, and the, the uniqueness of a coach is really how, uh, how she or he integrates all of the things that have happened up until now into the work that has, um, you know, impact on, uh, on clients in the future. That's a great point. Tell us how you got to that point. I mean, how did you even get to finance? Take us back to the very beginning, where you're from, mm -hmm. where you grew up, and ultimately the path that led you to where you're at now and making the Forbes list and then a coaching. Right. So um, I grew up uh, outside of Munich, Germany. Um, spent my childhood basically playing guitar and computer games. Um, and you know, the, the early days I was, I was active in, in a lot of communities at school, also in my kind of computer gaming world. I, I played in bands and um, I think a lot of that, um, a lot of that kind of activity and engagement um, uh, paid off later because it got, you know, it produced a lot of opportunity for me that I never knew, you know, was in the cards. I, you know, my, my early days were kind of mostly thinking, work hard in school, get a job, uh, and you know, in school you don't think about you know beyond the point of like graduation and getting a job, and so so I, I had a very kind of linear, um, linear perspective on on how this would work, um, and um, uh, I started getting a little bit more international exposure. I, I uh, moved to uh, moved to the U.S. for a year, then I came back to Germany, moved to Switzerland, moved to Singapore as part of my as part of my uh, university uh, degree, um, I trained in uh, economics, um, which to me was the more kind of, um, I, I loved economics because of the systems thinking aspect, um, because I always had the feeling that everything is connected and, and that really kind of played to that strength. Um, had a quick um, encounter with consulting uh, in Switzerland, um, but very quickly realized that um, like the big consulting world uh, wasn't really for me. Um, and then moved to London to get a graduate degree. And during that time, um, I, I had already um, started building this, this kind of hackathon community during college times. So I was aware of the startup scene and, and that things were a little bit more relaxed, uh, but still they produced lots of outcome and, and, and interesting kind of stories as far as I could tell as a, as a uh, recent graduate. And so I read this interview with an angel investor who was putting up syndicates in the U S. And so at that time 
I was a German based in London in school. And I basically said, hey, you know, um, I previously worked with startups in the Sackathon community. Um, I also did some financial consulting so I can read it. Um, I can uh, basically read a P&L um, and I'd love to volunteer for you. And I thought, you know, it, it can't hurt. You know, even if he said no, I can't forget that. And if he doesn't say anything, nothing changes in my life. And my life's pretty good right now. Um, but what happened then, <laughs> I, actually, I actually looked at this message three, four days ago. Um, a few days later, I received a message saying, great to have you. My colleague will put you on the mailing list. And that was the time, like that was the moment when my inbox blew up and what... Um, I guess angel investors spend years to build deal flow um, was right then every day. Um, I didn't earn any money. Um, I worked at night with the West coast based investors. And during the day I would go to school. Um, so it's not a very sustainable strategy. Talk about, you know, sleep as the bedrock of your performance. Um, but, um, you know, that ended up giving me the connections, the insight, um, you know, the first kind of inklings of experience of, uh, of venture. And um, I then moved uh, out to Berlin. And without knowing it, um, there were a couple of entrepreneurs in London at the time that I just had, you know, basically helped out. I, I wouldn't call myself an advisor. I mean, I, w I barely had, uh, a, you know, five months in venture, but um, I gave them some pointers, whatever I knew I passed on. And one of these had made the previous year's list and had nominated me. And so one day I received an email saying, hey, you know, do you want to, do you want to tell us more about yourself? Uh, you were nominated for the Forbes list. And this was I don't know, two or three years into my venture career for real in Berlin, I was managing a 20 million fund um, for, um, for a corporate uh, bank uh, in Berlin. And I was like, wait, <laughs> how did this come together? Um, and, and, and then, you know, you don't really have any insight into the process. So um, you, at some point, just uh, learn that uh, you've been selected. Um, and, and, and that was a great experience. I mean, primarily meeting all of the other uh, kind of members of that community in Tel Aviv, in uh, what was it, Boston, um, Berlin, um, lots of interesting events and lots of inspiring personalities. That's amazing. And it sounds like a similar story to what we, we had. I, didn't, I still to this day don't know who nominated us actually. We think it's someone from the Clinton Global Initiative because we were on stage at the Holt Prize there. So that was, you know, it's still to this day, we're just very grateful for it, but we don't know. It, was, yeah, it came yeah, as such yeah. a surprise. So it makes yeah. it even that much more exciting because you're not yeah. expecting it. And then it comes exactly. like, wow, it's a game yeah. changer. You're like, I made it. Yeah. And um, so how would you define your maybe most important personal attribute that got you to where you are today, that reaching this success? Hmm. That's a very good question. Um, I would think, um, I think it's relatability. I, um, you know, maybe that paired with clarity. Um, I, I take time and try to understand people without you know, any preconceived notion of like, you are, you know, you are just this, or you're just that you're the CEO. So therefore I have the following expectations to you. Um, and then at the same time, maybe it's because I'm, I'm very simple, like in my foundations, but like when I restate things, um, I try to, put them as clearly as possible, uh, foolproof. And, um, and that had seemed to help a lot of people that, um, I, that I talked to in the past. And that was one of the reasons why I got into coaching because more and more people 
uh, came to me and asked me for advice. And, and very early I said, look, I mean, I don't know anything. I'm barely 30 years old. How can I tell you about your career or like how you're supposed to finance your company? Um, and, and if there was a method um, to, you know, leverage your own strength and your own kind of resources um, to reach your goal without me being, you know, t telling you what to do, um, that would be great. And then, you know, and then it took five years and then I kind of slowly stumbled up on coaching as a profession. That's amazing. And so relatability is so important. You have to build that rapport first, make sure you have some chemistry because people don't really know how, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care about them as a person. That's yeah, that's right. That's great. I'm going to write that down. Thank you. <laughs> my, my coaches, <laughs> coaches helping coaches. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, coaching, I think of you in Germany. I mean, you're an outlier because in Germany, especially with the stoic philosophy and, and the, the culture, the stereotypical German, you know, blank stare, for example, not very animated, not very emotional. What do you do in a situation where you're a coach in an environment that's not known for having coaches in the mainstream world? Yeah. How well, do you handle that? Well, I, I think you're hitting on a very uh, real challenge. Um, this market doesn't have um, a lot of coaches, uh, specifically not kind of geared at founders um, in, or in venture. Um, and I think part of that is just timing and part of it is as you said culture right um the timing part is when we look at you know the u.s or london respectively they're 40 years ahead of us they're 15 years ahead of us and we kind of see a full-blown coaching ecosystem in the u.s we see um you know certainly executive coaching being very firmly established in london um and in in germany or in the german-speaking countries there's maybe you know five or 10 coaches and we all know each other um, that work in this field. And I think German people are not unemotional in that sense. Um, there's just, there's just another kind of layer of um, how we are, how we think we should um handle ourselves um, with other people. And, and I think kind of peeling off that layer and saying, you know, I appreciate um, the way you are and I, and, and, um, and I, and I totally see you because I come from that same background from in many, you know, on many different levels from that same background. Um, um, but we're trying to work on um, all the things that, drive you um, to the success, but potentially also the, the, the challenges and the pain that you're experiencing right now. Um, so we want to go to uh, where that fire burns, right? And um, as, you know, as any human, um, that source um, is burning, um, you know, it's a it's a very big fire for for every for everyone and and um and it's just that i guess in, in germany we're we're not showing it as much but it's there it's still oh. there but maybe we're suppressing it because of the cultural norms yep. or narratives that like you said there's these labels that we put on ourselves like i'm an introvert or i'm an extrovert in reality, as Ma Malcolm Gladwell more eloquently describes in his book, uh, Tipping Point, it's like, uh, labels are just situational. In some situations, you might be more introverted. In other situations, you might be more extroverted. Right. In some situations, you might think more democratically or liberal. In other situations, you might think more conservatively or Republican. So it's Game like so. You're, you're making sure that we're not boxing ourselves in and defining those about defining ourselves by those labels, but also we need to first get it out of you in the first place to see where you're at and where you want to be. And sometimes it sounds like what I'm hearing in, in the culture is that we're not always good in the German culture of sharing that information openly. 
Um, yes, that is true. Um, and at the same time, when you, um, when you look at the clientele or like the audience that, that I work with and I uh, would expect you work with um, leaders in their fields, then um, you realize that those people are um, very often outliers um, in, a, in a certain, in a certain um, uh, range of, of what they do. And, and that means they're often very different from like whatever you assume to be the standard of that, of that population, right? So how do you manage that? I mean, that's got to be difficult. Let's say someone comes in and they're like, oh, I don't need a coach. I mean, you and I were just talking about this before mm-hmm. we started the interview. The biggest objection I see many high achievers, many successful entrepreneurs and even academics and researchers, they feel, ah, oh, I don't need a coach. And a lot of times I find it's the ego is preventing them from mm-hmm. realizing that it's okay and a lot of successful people do. I mean, the CEO of Google has a coach. Steve Jobs had a coach. COO of Facebook has a coach. The, some of the most successful people on earth invest in coaches because they want to invest in themselves. Right, right. I think that's, I mean, what you're just mentioning is, is, is one of the first things I would say. Like, like how do you think um, really successful people get to where they're at? It's not a one-person show. It is never a one-person show. Uh, you know, every kind of, I think there's this theory about like every generator has their integrator or uh, um, something like that uh, in a book called Rocket Fuel, which I quite like. Um, there is um, there is a team to every success and there's a huge backstory to every one-hit wonder. And, and um coaches are involved if they're calling themselves coaches um, or not that's a different set of questions so that's one uh, two um, I just asked them well so what's your goal like where do you want to go I recognize you're very successful now but where do you want to go and like and do you know do you know how to get there and if you if you have goals and you exactly know how to get there, are those ambitious goals, right? Um, and, and then thirdly, you know, we have a lot of, um, uh, a lot of uh, you know, very well-educated clients. Um, and they know a lot of stuff. And they have... You know, I was um, I, I was listening to to one of your episodes, right? So they would listen to audiobooks on like three x speed and um, tell you know I've I you know I know of all the theories, and then you ask, well, so what? What do you make of it? And like all the knowledge is not worth a thing um, if you don't have a way to put it to work and um the the problem is we have so much opportunity we could you know spend our entire life consuming information and knowing it all um but without a framework and and kind of a a a partnership to put that to either paper or you know bring it into a company and um, bring it to life um you know yeah, it doesn't it doesn't it create any impact. Doesn't matter how many books you read, if you're not taking what you learned and applying it to your everyday life and utilizing it to your advantage, it, it means little to nothing. And exactly. I mean, I love what you said there. It's just that you need to see how you can bounce ideas off of other people. And maybe that gives you clarity on where you need to go. Maybe you don't know where you're going right now. And maybe you have ambitious goals, but just chatting with someone can help you get there faster and accelerate the speed at which you're, you're going about your path. Right. And, And just because you have a degree, you have all these credentials, I've noticed it becomes your identity. And so as soon as you level up and you get that next achievement, you're like, okay, I'm now on the Forbes list. This is my new identity. Okay, I've got my PhD. This is my new identity. And we start to reside on these identities. And at the end of the day, like you said, okay, then what? So what? What does it mean? Just because you have them, what do you actually do with it? Some of the smartest people. It's a little bit like an armor, right? 
it's it's like you know now I have my PhD or you know, I don't have a PhD, uh, but like you know I have this degree from London Business School. Um, you know it doesn't do much yet, but I can you know I can put it on my LinkedIn profile and then I can be in the London Business School alumni group. Um, and there's a lot of extremely smart and driven and successful people in there. And I mean, it's a very good school. Um, but, you know, hiding behind that label doesn't show you anything about who I really am. And I would, I, I would, um, you know, put the, the hypothesis out that um, a lot of these very successful people um, you know, have a huge imposter syndrome um, because it's much easier, you know, achieving title after title after title after title, as they think, um, than having real success. And then you ask themselves, so what is real success? And they, and they, and they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't really know. They would say either like, well, I want to be, now I want to be on this list. You know, I'm not, now I'm on the Forbes list as a venture capitalist. I want to get on the meatest list as like the most successful venture capitalist in the business. And, you know, yeah. it, you just and go one, from like checkpoint to, to checkpoint. Exactly. And, and you realize that when you climb Mount Everest, guess what? There's another peak you're going to see. So the, the key is that, that progress is the happiness. That growth is the happiness that, keeping the movement momentum moving forward and it reminds me of that quote of become a man of value not a man of success and a woman right. of course in that case as well but that's right. how the quote goes and right. it's like you said with it reminds me of the book rich dad poor dad by robert kiyosaki he's like we're so trained in society to just go to school get good grades work hard to get a good job and then get that pat phd or master's degree and it's like well, that, the path isn't always linear and everyone has right. a different definition of success and what right. success means to them. I, 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 I see that. And, and early on in my life, I thought, you know, I measure myself kind of thinking mathematically, not as the first derivation, like not where I am, but what, like um, how, what my climb rate is. And then at some point I was like, I thought I could be really smart. I was like, I measure myself not by how how fast I climb, but by the speed at which my climb rate increases. Your rate of change. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then, and then at some point, um, I tried to put it down to paper, and I realized, you know, a plane that takes off and and um, the, the, which is uh, climb rate ever increases. Um, it, it at some point. It falls from the sky. <laughs> I realize that that is not possible. It's not sustainable. And and if I want to build any sort of sustainable change, uh, or like sustainable impact in my life, then it can't be by by just one upping um, my my yesterday self. And and sometimes those are vanity metrics. And yes, sometimes understandably so vanity metrics can lead to real metrics because you're like oh this guy's really smart he went here let me reach out to him and maybe he wouldn't have reached out to you if you didn't have that vanity metric right. so i can understand the value in that but then there comes right. a time where you ask yourself and you reflect as often as possible so you can question and say huh is this really what i want and i'm a, a fan of the book flow by mihai chesson yeah i love the that. intersection of your greatest competency and your greatest passion and to me that is your life's purpose a lot of people just do what they happen to might be good at or passionate about but when you reach that intersection you realize that oh wait it's not about being better than my peers or being the smartest person in the room or having the most titles or having the most degrees or having the most achievements it's what is uniquely successful to me? Mm. What is uniquely uh, my purpose and my identity? I was just talking with a heart, uh, Dartmouth client of mine, and he's going through this challenge right now of comparing himself because he's, he's in a room with unbelievable individuals, some of the smartest people in the world working on the hardest problems in the world, which many groups are doing. And he's realized that he started to compare himself to the other individuals in the room. And mm. so I have to remind him that 
there's a uniqueness about him that no one else in the world could ever be, that no one else in the world could ever have. And that is what value you bring is your uniqueness. Yeah. The books you read, the people you've met, the places you've been, the experiences you've had, only you will ever have that in your entire life. No one will ever be the second best version of you. Very true. Very true. And but it takes the maturity to get there, right? And putting your ego to the side. Yeah. Having an ego death so you can realize, oh, there's more growth to happen here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, um, you know, putting that, I always thought my process of like positioning myself uniquely was, um, was a, um, was a sign of my imposter syndrome to say like, Oh, you know, and here he comes and like, he's in venture capital and then he kind of leaves venture capital to be, uh, to be a coach. Um, and, and I thought, well, you know, is that, you know, is that really, you know, is that really progress like on the venture capital scale? But then again, does it, like, does it matter? Yeah, what barometer are you using? What, what exactly. metric are you using exactly. to measure yourself? Is yeah, it yeah. happiness? Is it finances? Yeah. Is it the quality of relationships I have? Is it my physical health, my mental health, yeah. my social health? What metric are you using? <laughs> Absolutely. It's, um, it's interesting you mentioned happiness because then I, um, I started working with a venture fund investing in the emerging science of health and happiness. Uh, and so this is one of my, this is one of my other roles where, uh, where I help these, um, these guys who came from the U S started up in Europe about a year ago, um, um, to basically land here. Um, I, I helped them run the, the German speaking market. And, you know, when you start investing in health and happiness, um, there comes a, a, a highly interesting philosophical question or discussion about like, what is happiness? You know, what makes the individual happy and like, and how can you scale happiness? Yes. And then you even look at the biochemical level. Oh, there. Like so, the, yeah. the hormone influx of dopamine and serotonin yeah, yeah. and the decreasing levels of cortisol, for example. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, I mean, this fund, this fund is, is at the intersection of bio and tech very much. And we're, we're, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of the few non-scientists on the team. Very cool work that you're doing. And it's so important, especially now mental health, what used to be this taboo subject, like, Oh my gosh, you, you need a therapist or mm -hmm. you need a coach. And it was almost right. frowned upon. And now we're starting to, highlight and reward and, and shout from the rooftops how important it is and almost look at it as a badge of, of achievement because you are investing in yourself again not just on a physical level by going to the gym or getting a personal trainer but on a mental level very much so um for four or five years ago there was this founder in london his name is i think uh james the company's called sanctus and i'm not invested in this in this company but he back then already he was like mental health is, you know, is highly important for entrepreneurs. And back then I was like, huh, that's a far out thesis. And today I'm like, of course, of course, you know, um, yes. why, why would not everyone see this? Um, but, you know, he's been continuously pushing that message and it needs to be continuously pushed. And I'm very happy, you know, to, to support, to support that. It's entered the dialogue now. We can talk about it and embrace it with open arms. And, yeah. you know, the work you're doing, it reminds me of Sean Aker's work. He's the scientist who studies happiness, I think, more often than any other scientist in the world. He has the most mm -hmm. often enrolled in class in Harvard's history, and it's on happiness. And really? Tim Ferriss was interviewing him. This is my first exposure to Sean Aker. And Tim's like, let's, let's get down to the 80-20 rule, the Pareto principle. What's the 20% of stuff I could do to generate 80% <laughs> as Tim does to generate 80% of the impact? It's like, what's the bare minimum I can do to statistically significantly increase my happiness? And he said, there's five things. Sean Aker did. And based on his research, he found that if you do these five things, it's the bare minimum you could do with the greatest return on investment 
from a statistical mm. significant standpoint on your happiness. One was exercise cardiovascularly for a minimum of 15 minutes every day. Number two was meditate, and it could be as little as two minutes, even in a cubicle of just closing your eyes and focusing on your breath, two minutes. Number three was sharing gratitude or um, appreciation. So thanks for someone, a different person every single day. So it could be as simple as just a one-liner text. Um, right. Hey, you know, appreciation or gratitude. You looked great yesterday. You did great yesterday. Or thanks for that book you recommended. Whatever it may be, it has to be a different person every day. Number four was writing down three things you're grateful for every day. But here's the key. It has to have happened in the past 24 hours. Because what happens is they notice is when everyone journals their gratitude, they write down the same things every time. Yeah. God, my health, my happiness, my family, my friends. And over time, you become desensitized to it, especially yeah, if you, you write it down down. every day. So he says you have to write it down, but it has to be three things that have happened in the past 24 hours. So that way it's different every single day. Right. And then lastly, number five was writing down three details of a positive event that happened in the past 24 hours. And the more specific you are, the better. So for example, let's say um, someone gave you a compliment on your shirt and you're like, oh, you know, I really loved how that person just had the, the, adamancy of coming up to me and telling me this, even though they didn't know me. I really like the shoes that that person was wearing as they mentioned the comment. So the more specific you are, the better. So three details about a positive event that happened in the past 24 hours. So I love taking a scientific approach to something as such of an art of happiness is and turning it into more of a science. Absolutely. And I mean, and and that, you know, it applies some rigor, but it also means that, um, you can potentially deploy that to a lot of people uh, if you find out how to deliver happiness at scale. And, but, but one, one, um, one element that I found especially interesting is around, you know, focusing attention by, by putting down three things that I'm grateful for in the last 24 hours and three positive moments, um, in all their specificity, um, I am focusing my attention to the positive things in my life. Right. Um, And I'm spending a lot of time recently thinking about that because I, um, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I also catch myself kind of listening to podcasts so that I can. So, so basically that they, um, they take my attention and they basically bring it somewhere. Um, because at the end of the day, um, I just want to be taken for a ride, you know, yes. and, 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 it, and it's actually not so important, uh, you know, what kind of podcast it is. I listen about songwriting as a musician, uh, about songwriting, uh, I listen um, to the you know, news podcasts and I listen to leadership and venture podcasts. Um, and, and the, the art of focusing your attention um, on the few things that matter that actually drive positive change is of such an importance um, that uh, if there is only one thing that my client could take away uh, from working with me, that would be it. And we wouldn't even, you know, we, we wouldn't have even started working on their business and, you know, yes. most times we're talking about business topics and like, you know, organizational topics and stuff like that, but it's where it all starts. Where focus goes, energy flows. Exactly. And what you tend to focus on becomes your reality. Your, your perspective becomes your reality. Exactly. Could, yeah. Two people could go to the same event and have two completely different perspectives on how it went because of what they focused on at the event, for example. Yeah. My, my girlfriend repeats the mantra thoughts, words, action. Um, and that's how, um, her thoughts manifest into reality. Yes. It's so true. And it sound it used to sound like airy fairy woo woo type mm-hmm. stuff. It's and now we're not. realizing there's science behind it and it actually works. Right. Very and much. you generate a more impactful, happy life as a result. So what do you tell clients that have this ego issue? 
And how do you manage that? How do you help them get over that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that have their own company. They might even be on the Forbes list and right. they don't want to look inferior. Like, Oh, I need a coach. What, do, what is that going to look like to the team? If I need to reach out to someone for help. That's interesting because the way I, the way I phrase um, my work is not, um, is not coaching as in you are not okay. My friend, so I, I am coming in to save you. This is an intervention. Uh, you know, go lie down on my couch. Um, it's, it's, hey, it's great to be partnering up. We are working together. Um, I am on your team as much as, for example, an investor would be on your company's team. I mean, that's, that's kind of the difference. The investor looks at the company where a coach is looking at the human um, it's important to have someone that's invested directly in your success, not just from exactly. a company standpoint, but you as an individual. Exactly. But I think, I think the key is, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not threatening you. I'm not lecturing you. I am your partner for success. And that is my only metric. Um, and um, we will do anything that will move you ahead um, on your terms, you know, and yep. I think that here's, uh, here's where, um, there's, there's a plethora of like coaching businesses that try to do coaching at scale. And I think there's, a there's a very good, um, point to do this. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching this to the choir, um, like, um, you know, doing this over text messaging is a great way, you know, to nudge people into like, um, the right direction. And I see this as an investor, right? Um, the the added uh, challenge with entrepreneurs um, or you know people in, in executive and leadership positions is uh, they oftentimes they you know they want someone to actually sit down with even if it's you know even if it's over video call but like they want to be accountable to someone and feel like they're partnering up with with that person and. Um, and I think then it becomes really important to kind of establish rapport, to relate to them and make sure that we're on eye level. And it's not this like parent child relationship. It's like, I'm the coach and now I'm going to tell you how it works because yeah. then you know, everyone would do as, as I'm telling them, I have, I have no experience to tell you how to live your unique life because you would be, you know, you know, you know, try practicing 25 years of playing guitar, then you can live my life. Yeah. But th that's not, you know, I'm doing yeah. that already. And I like what you said. It's, it's not necessarily help. You're not broken. You mm -hmm. don't need to be fixed. There's nothing wrong with you. You're already crushing it. You're that's what I tell my clients. You're already crushing it. You're already achieving things. You wouldn't be here where you are today. If, if you weren't, we're just going to take it to the next level and help you get to where you want to be. And it helps to have someone that you can't always tell your board members everything you want to talk about. Your mom, your girlfriend, your, you don't want your significant other to become your therapist, for example. Yeah. Everybody has, one, an inherent bias, and two, sometimes it's a conflict of interest. But mm -hmm. who can you be open to that has absolutely no bias and is solely invested in the direct success of you as an individual? Absolutely, absolutely. And I've seen this. I mean, I sat on, I sat on enough boards um, to see the kind of behavior, even for, and I mean, today, um, every investment fund um, tells you, you know, we're founder first and we're founder friendly. And, um, and, and yes, uh, when I then look at, you know, term sheets, there, there are standard terms that are tagged kind of founder friendly, but you really figure out what founder friendly means kind of two and a half years later when that's, specific portfolio company hasn't made the breakout spot maybe later but right now it's at like number four five six somewhere hovering in the middle it's not really interesting but it's also not dead and then you know and then the question is who spends time with that founder and and those are the people who make real difference um but it's not part of the venture business model for sure you know yeah, because their ultimate goal is to make sure the company succeeds, irrespective of whether the individual succeeds or not.
Well, that, that's yes, that's number one. And number two is um, if you're, you know, it's somewhere in the middle of the portfolio, your chances, your chances to be that number one in the portfolio um, are just slim, slim to none. Um, and so they will, they will invest all of their resources in the front runner that will uh, make their next fund. Um, so important to have a coach, someone that's just directly invested in you. I, I have two coaches and um, I think it's just, there's an amazing opportunity for you to get a coach, even if it's not, not Julius and I, there's tons of coaches out there mm -hmm. that are helping people every single day in all facets of life from physical yeah. health to mental health to finances, et cetera, to holistic coaching. It's becoming more and more mainstream, which is a good thing for everyone and the coaching business as a whole. And, you know, what I, what I always recommend is it's not about the paper. So it doesn't matter if they have a certification or doesn't, don't have a certification. I know certain entities require that, but at the end of the day, it comes down to results. So one of the thing I always, the things I always recommend is talk to one of their clients, reach out mm -hmm. to someone that's already been coached by them and hear it right. from their perspective. They can help give right. you insight into what it's going to be like. Right. Right. And I think every, every coach has, their style because they're effectively just integrating their own experience with some form of coaching methodology. And, exactly. um, and it's perfectly fine to, to say, Hey, I don't think we're a fit here. I think I'm looking for something else. Um, and here's what I'm looking for because maybe that coach can then direct you to someone else. Exactly. Like I met my current business partner through my coach. You know, it's amazing. And just yeah. because you might have an interview with a coach, interview a bunch, and you might have an interview and it doesn't work out. It doesn't mean coaching is not right for you. It might just mean you need to go through the coaching experience a couple of times before you land on the one that you like, that yeah. what works best for you. And that's why yeah. I always offer a free discovery call to learn two things. One, do we have chemistry and rapport? And two, is their goal within my scope of practice? And if not, if neither of those two things match, I can refer them to someone else. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things I do want to mention is Julius was generous enough for you in the audience to offer three coaching sessions for the price of two. And where do they go for that? And what do they have to mention in order to take advantage of that opportunity with you? Yeah. So um, the coaching company I'm running with my partner uh, is called Volate, V-O-L-A-T-E.com. Um, go to the website, reach out through the contact form, um, tell us you're coming through this podcast and, um, and we're super happy and excited uh, to work with you wherever you're based. We can do that digitally. Um, obviously, if you're based in Europe, um, uh, maybe um, that's also, you know, uh, something that we can do in person. That's awesome. Thank you so much for the generosity and, and please take advantage of this opportunity. Find a coach, work with one, test it out, see what you like, what you don't like, and, and you will see improvement in one way or another, or at least clarity in what you're looking for. Um, we're going to transition now a bit to something I like to call the under 30 seconds round. Okay. I'm going to fire off a few questions. Just answer mm -hmm. the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> well, number one, what is the book you've gifted more often than any other book and why? Um, Carol Dweck, Growth Mindset. Um, I read it really early um, and it just, it just had me, you know, some of the, some of the examples, I was very, very young when I read it, but some of the examples are like, you know, a successful marriage is built on this and that. I was like, I don't know what a successful marriage, you know, um, you know, takes because I haven't been married. Um, and, but, you know, the, kind of the, the, general out, the general outlook on how you develop as a human uh, was, um, was just fantastic and like intriguing to me. And I, you know, I keep gifting this book. It's a great book. And if you haven't read it, it's about a Stanford researcher who debunks a bunch of information. If you're a teacher, parent, or coach in any facet, it's an absolute must read. I mean, you'll yeah, learn sure. things like never say good job to a child. You need to use something called appropriate praise. So specificity around why you're encouraging someone, for example, or praising someone. 
Great book. Thanks for the recommendation. Two, what's one of the best investments and one of the worst investments you've ever made and why? Mm. The best investments have always been relationships. Uh, spending time with people and spending honest, uh, 100% focused time. Um, because all of the things that I have, um, you know, all of the opportunities that have found their way to me have come through someone that I didn't expect um, would, would bring that to me, you know, um, and and so you know, spending, spending time, showing gratitude, um, you know, taking that uh, in entrepreneurial speak extra mile um, um, to, um, to help someone without expecting anything in return. Um, I think that's, that's like forever the best investment that you can make. The worst investment I made, huh. I mean, I invested in a bunch of companies that have gone bankrupt since, but that's kind of part of the job, you know? What's the most impactful thing you do in your morning routine and the most impactful thing you do in your evening routine? Mm. So I work out and I meditate every morning. It sounds, um, I don't know, maybe I'm listening to many, to too many uh, of these kind of leadership um, podcasts because that's what every everyone apparently says. Um, but um, after kind of practicing that for years now, I I need it. Like I can go, I can go uh, one day without uh, a workout, but like after three days without a workout, it's I'm I'm just I'm just not usable anymore, and my attention goes everywhere. And the same goes for meditation. Um, I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. I'm, I'm much better at working out than I am at, at meditation, but I think that's kind of my, that's my, um, routine in the morning and the evenings. Um, and actually gratitude. This was something that my, my, um, girlfriend, um, uh, introduced and we every night religiously, um, talk about what we're grateful for, um, in those 24 hours um, that just happened. And, and, and it's to the point where uh, we're almost asleep already. And still when, uh, when I would ask or she would ask, you know, what are you grateful for today? The other one kind of lights up <laughs> and here we go. <laughs> it's a great way to end the day. Mm -hmm. And it was a positive. What type of meditation are you practicing now? Um, um, so, I try to free myself from any um, from any kind of um, you know bucket or like I use this app or you know I, I practice this kind of um, specific type of meditation. I basically just sit down, quiet down, focus my thoughts. I have to I have to wear um, earphones um, a lot of the times just because I get a lot of distraction from noise. Maybe that's because I'm a musician, but like I, um, I have to cover my ears, um, and I don't do guided meditations. Um, I just go with where my where my thoughts go. When I try to kind of, as I realize I'm kind of dr drilling into a, a thought pattern, I try to let go of it and just let it flow for about ten to fifteen minutes. It sounds like you would get a lot of value out of uh, the meditation I practice is transcendental meditation, TM. It's the most scientifically studied meditation in the world. It was a required course for Ivy Leagues in the 70s, tm.org. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Ray Dalio from Bridgewater Investments, uh, Tony Robbins, Oprah, they all use it. It's, it's amazing. It's all unguided, 20 minutes twice a day. And oh, wow. once you're trained in it, you're trained for life, but it will teach you that you, you won't even need headphones. You actually, the noise pollution actually becomes part of your internal uh, transcendence, as they call it. Um, I've been using it since 2013. It's a game changer. I've used all the apps too, just to see from my client's perspective yeah. what it will be like, because uh, I always want to be able to share insights for them, but it's, it's brilliant. And I think you, you would really appreciate it. Thank based on much. what you just told me. TM.com. Um, yeah, uh, TM.org. Tud.org. Yeah. Thank you.
that work. It's, it's a great one. And um, pretend you won the Peter Thiel Fellowship and you were going to get money to start a business instead of go to college. What's the very first thing you do to start a new business? Uh, so, so this is, uh, this is going to be a, a bit more boring answer than talking about coaching because that's what I'm already doing. Um, I've done a lot of, um, CF like finance work, but also from the operating perspective. Um, the, the CFO software stack is absolutely broken and, um, starting a company that, that would um, help finance professionals, especially for small companies, is direly needed. And I think a lot of a lot of bankruptcies and business failures are attributed to um, just people not getting their numbers straight. And it's because there is not sufficient infrastructure for that. And that's what I would tackle. There you go. If you're thinking about starting a business, Julius just gave you a head start. Yeah, into... go for it. And, and please do approach me for angel investment if that uh, would ever be the question. Last question. What's something you never knew you needed? <laughs> um, uh, the, um, my my ebook reader um, with backlight. <laughs> I uh, so this my my girlfriend gave me that for christmas and at first i thought why do i need that can't i read books uh like actual paper books and uh, since then um i you know i'm reading like two to three books a month now um just because i can read when she's already asleep Mm. i can read anywhere I have all my books. I, sorry, this sounds like a this sounds like an advertising now, but like um, it's amazing. Um, I I can access all of that um, just at the kind of at the press of a button, um, and um, it has made the habit of reading and and, and mm. consuming information that way so much more convenient um, because I I could just you know keep building that muscle. And what's great about those, you could take notes, and I I'm like you previously i like the physical hard copy book but i i understand the convenience of having ability to travel and you can take notes right on the the e-reader um and actually with the meditation transcendental meditation you can actually assimilate that knowledge um better because the neuroplast they show that with normal regular meditation you reach about 30% alpha waves in the brain with transcendental meditation, you reach 90% alpha waves in the brain. And so actually enhances the gray matter, which ultimately allows you to assimilate more knowledge because you're essentially doing less to do more. And in some cases Mm. we think we need to always be doing more, 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 more. Sometimes it's just a matter of subtraction, not addition. That's fascinating. Well, uh, Julius, thank you so much for being here today. This has been incredible. I'm so happy we finally got a coach on here. Uh, Before you go, what's next for you? What's the next big goal, milestone, or bucket list item you want to achieve? Ooh, um, well, so we're hard at work to build kind of the number one destination for founder coaching in Europe. Uh, I think that's that's enough work for a while. Um, The other thing is I release... I release a song every now and then uh, I released one last month. Um, I'm going to be releasing one hopefully in the next two months. Um, and so if I want, if I want to have like a more short-term goal, that's, that's that go back Perfect. to the studio. Where do listeners go to connect with you directly? Uh, on Spotify. Um, my artist name is Joel Bum, J U L B A. And what if they want to connect with you about coaching or outside of coaching, just you as a person? not just your um, music please of course <laughs> uh, do reach out on on linkedin or through uh, volat.com um it's i think i'm i'm fairly easy to uh, to catch um what does the I word do, mean by the way volata is uh fly um in latin and uh, in italian um and that's that's the purpose of our company boom there you go well, Julius, that's a, that's a great way to transition to conclude. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being here today. This is Julius with Volate, who does coaching for founders, especially in Europe. 
please reach out to them so you can learn to fly. We learned so much today. We learned how to fly. We learned how to overcome that ego or that hesitation to dive into coaching. We learned some hacks for your everyday routine. Julius, thank you so much for being here today. It was such a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Have an amazing day. Thanks for joining us today. I hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Who do you think would benefit from hearing it? You can make an impact on their life by sharing it now. Before you go, I encourage you to tell us your favorite part of the episode in the review section. Now it's time to level up. Level up. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.